0: The following is a hoop bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. There ain't nobody bringing me down right now. Lifelong Dodger fan Dan Bespers here who witnessed the improbable over the weekend. Not going to steal a line from the great Vin Scully. As of yet, they have not yet done the impossible. But listen, guys, I know this is a basketball podcast, but I've been a baseball fan actually longer than I've been a basketball fan. I just happen to find fantasy basketball more entertaining than fantasy baseball. And uh, my my childhood team pulled off a big comeback they went all Denver Nuggets on the Atlanta Braves and came back from 3-1 to one deficit. But again, this is not a baseball podcast, so uh, World Series starts tomorrow. Hopefully, you guys can get in and play some wagers on that with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Or, at the very least, you guys can play their free blackjack tournaments or bet on football. I mean, what the hell do I know about football, but I do know that... Uh, You could win money on it by following our guys, Devin and Ira and John and Troy, and they're just dominating. So sign up for an account at mybookie.ag. Promo code, as always, is the word HoopBall. That'll unlock a 100% deposit match bonus, so they'll match whatever you put in. And we'll let them know who sent you, which is arguably the most important part on our end. But we're not going to spend too much time on that right now. I'm going to tell you a little bit later on in the podcast about our buddies at ExpressVPN. We've got some new information on that front, so that'll be a cool little uh, ditty. I've been using it regularly now. You just sort of make it part of your existence, but again, I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Um, And then we'll continue today talking about basically how storylines are shaping fantasy handicapping going forward. We're going to have a very early industry mock draft coming up probably later on this week, so we can start breaking that down next week. It's pre-free agency, so everything will come with a little bit of an asterisk next to it. And then we've got some really cool stuff in the works over at uh, HoopBall for this coming fantasy season. You'll find out about that soon, including uh, draft guide things, changes to premium memberships, new premium offerings. It's really going to be... Very cool and a lot of fun. And that's what's coming up on today's show. Shout out to Corbin Ford and Brad Harden. Episodes dropping this morning already before I could even hit the record button. Brandon Marcus late last week had Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com who covered Ty Lue with the Cavs. He's talking uh, to Ron Lue's signing in Clippertown. So going to the source, someone that saw him as a head coach already. Uh, the new episode from Brad is with Jordan Boatwright talking to the Hawks offseason season. Same deal, Corbin and Brad over on NBA Today. That's a Hawks off-season pod. The Heat podcast, Joe Stroman had an episode late last week. Really impressed, by the way, with what these guys are doing. Just churning out content even in the basketball off season. But let's dive right on uh where we left off, which was after the Western Conference. We finished up talking about the Western Conference late last week. By the way, I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, no longer holding the fantasy. We have actual real fantasy involved. Mhm. Oh yes. We're back, baby. At least temporarily. Um what we've been doing And I think most of you have been listening to the podcast, so I don't want to spend too much time in recap mode. But what we've been doing is analyzing how teams' seasons went and if that means anything for what they're going to do next year. And the answer for a lot of teams is not really. A team like the Mavericks. I don't think what they did this year is going to reflect upon or refract upon what what they do next season with their players they were pretty good this year offensively they were awesome Luka Doncic was great KP was great when he was healthy you know they got eliminated by a better team in the playoffs that's a team that just is sort of slowly on the rise but they're still a team that wants to do more in the regular season they're a team that is also worried about their own health so nothing changes really for them season over season um You could probably make a similar argument to the Timberwolves, although I don't think you're going to see tanking quite so hard, maybe just elimination from them. And then on the other side of the ledger, there are teams that there will be changes to their storyline. A team like the Clippers, who now, with a new regime, probably going to be some changes in personnel based on the fact that they have a couple of key free agents, guys coming off the books. The superstars that are basically now in their contract year because they both only did a two-year deal. Uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, of course, that's who we're talking about there. That's a team that I think is going to want to show more during the regular season. They saw the advantage of being able to have the higher seed and certainly with the expectation that teams will be playing their games in their home arenas. I don't know how many fans are going to be there next summer or next late spring, whenever the playoffs happen to be. Uh, they're probably going to want home court. They were 27-9 and at home this year. That was the best home record in the Western Conference. So there are, to me, that's a team that is going to push through a little bit more. This season, they babied everybody. We knew Kawhi was going to get babied because he has a, a degenerative muscle issue, so that's sort of a, its own thing. But you know, Paul George never could quite get right getting back from his shoulder stuff, and then it led to leg stuff, and then different leg stuff because favoring one and then the other... They just, they didn't push hard during the regular season at all. This was a team that got to where they were just on having a crap ton of talent, which they did, mind you. But that's a team that's going to want to do more. The Blazers are a team that's going to want to do more. The Suns are a team. Well, the Suns were pushing this year already, but you get the idea. It's basically an assessment of, will this team push during the regular season to achieve more than they did this last year. That's the question we're asking for all 30 teams. We're doing about five teams an episode, give or take. I think that's how we've averaged out to this point. And we're going to do that with the Eastern Conference this week. My guess is that we'll probably be done with that by Wednesday. I don't know. It's not totally mapped out while we still are unofficially without a timeline. Rumors continuing to circulate that uh, NBA free agency will be the beginning of December and the season will start about a month and a half later. That's not much time with your new squad to get right for the season, but, you know, it's a a weird year, so something's going to have to give, and we'll see what it turns out to be. But as long as we're still sort of floating through this we-don't-really-know-when-things-are-happening time and the NBA uh, and the NBPA continue to negotiate, we are also not really going to have a timeline. So, you know, deal with it. Start at the top. The Milwaukee Bucks. They're a story and a half, aren't they? Sheesh. The Milwaukee Bucks went fifty-six and seventeen this year and sort of clunked their way through the bubble. I don't know if it was because they just they needed home court. I don't think that needs to be the case. They were 26 and 12 on the road, so it's not like they were bad away from home. They were brilliant at home at 30 and 5, somehow not the best home record in the NBA. Thank you to the weird-as-hell Philadelphia 76ers for that mark at 31-4. They were 37-7 against the Eastern Conference. They were 19-10 against the Western Conference, which I think tells you an awful lot about how the conferences are lined up. The West is still a lot better. Um, And then got into the bubble and had no playoff solution to uh, what the Miami Heat were throwing. The thing about the Bucs is... Nothing that I saw this year makes me think they need to change anything during the regular season. They were outstanding during the regular season with all of their playoff foibles. You just try not to think about those. They managed to not play their guys a ton of minutes. They managed to go into the playoffs healthy, which is huge. You know, Brooke Lopez, dinosaur though he may be, floor spacing big man who is not much of a big man around the rim these days and box out artist he played 78 games over the course of the the season and the bubble and I think the playoffs I mean they got a lot out of him but let's let's not talk about uh all of the weird stuff let's let's focus on the storyline the bubble season ended whatever it was mid-august Brooklow plays uh, played 68. Of their 73 ball games, Giannis missed 10, Middleton missed 11. Some of that stuff was basically just nagging injuries, and they were just like, you know what? We don't really need to. We don't really need to hard push these guys in any way. Eric Bledsoe was the one guy on that team that was actually hurt this year. That's why he drifted towards the edge of the top 100. Just wasn't the same. He wasn't. His steals were under one per game. We always talk about in this podcast. How can you immediately tell if somebody's not 100% healthy? Look at their defensive numbers and their field goal percent. If either of those things looks way off kilter, you've got your answer. Eric Bledsoe has been a top-shelf steals guy his entire career. He averages something like 1.7, 1.8 steals per 36 minutes. Now, I know his minutes were down. He played only 27 minutes a game, which is his lowest since he was Chris Paul's backup for the Clippers uh, eight years ago. But he only played 29 last year in Milwaukee. So only two more. Less than 10% more. So that that doesn't explain the other stuff. This year, last year, this year, field goal percent took a hit by 1%, which isn't that big of a deal. But he took one less shot. Went from 12.5 to 11.5, which, by the way, also the fewest number of shots he's taken per game since he was Chris Paul's backup. Last year had actually been the record setter for him prior to breaking his own mark this year. And then here's the one. So scoring was down from 16 to 15. Free throw percent was right at his career mark, which is 79%. Uh, Three-pointers, he's not going to take a ton of those, so you you don't get too caught up in that stuff. Field goal percent was a little bit down. Steals from one and a half to .9. Even during his time in LA with the Clippers, he averaged over one steal per game. The only season in Bledsoe's career where he averaged under one steal per game was the second year of his NBA career. He averaged 11 and a half minutes per game and still was at .8 steals per contest. So don't try to tell me that this year wasn't injury-related. He only played 61 games this year also, which he took a big knock during his Phoenix years for not playing entire seasons, but remember uh, remember the the uh, barbershop incident of I don't want to be here. <laughs> oh, he just said he didn't want to be in the barbershop anymore. Yeah, okay, whatever. Since he went to Milwaukee... Uh, he played in 71 games two years ago after the early season trade. I think he only could play in 73 of those games. 78 out of 82 last year. So, I mean, he basically hasn't missed time in Milwaukee until this season. Is this the start of something is a reasonable question to ask. And does Milwaukee make any large-scale personnel changes? Because, by all accounts, looking at this Bucks roster... They, they have the guys to put around Giannis that makes a lot of sense. Chris Middleton was brilliant as a jump shooter this year. Brooke Lopez is a great floor-spacing big man. We've seen Dante DiVincenzo improve his range. George Hill, great from downtown. They brought in Marvin Williams partway through the year. They have plenty of guys. Kyle Korver, I'm get me started on that. One of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. They have the floor spacers. They have already the personnel to make a deep playoff run. What they didn't have was schematically the right attack point. I said this a bunch of times. The Bucs actually played defense relatively well against the Miami Heat, the team that beat them. Go all the way back to when those teams were squaring off. It was... Crap, when was the second round of the playoffs this year? It was... Second round of the playoffs started like the last day of August, basically. Heat beat the Bucks 115-104 on August 31st. Then the Bucks gave up 116 to the Heat, 115 to the Heat. Those numbers belie the truth of what was going on in those series. The Bucs really don't mind giving up 115 points. I know you're going to think I'm insane, but hear me out on this. Go all the way back, August thirty first. Bucks Heat. Jimmy Butler had a great ball game. By the way, I uh, went thirteen for twenty. With uh, that was one of his forty burgers. Goran Dragic had twenty seven. Um, he shot the free throw extraordinarily well. Had one hundred and fifteen points. Bucks, by the way, just missed a ton of free throws in that game and committed nineteen turnovers. They lost by eleven and if they i mean the free throw disparity here was was colossal i think they the bucks went what did the bucks go they went 14 for 26 and i think the heat went 25 for 27 is that right uh do, 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 yeah so there's your 11 points right there plus the three turnovers plus getting out rebounded in that ball game Okay, so let's say that defensively they weren't very good in that ballgame, even if you want to make that argument. The next one, they held the Heat to 45.5% shooting, gave up 32 free throws, which killed them, but the Bucks shot 43.5% in that ballgame. The Milwaukee Bucks issue, and, and again, you, you look at these games, you're like, oh, the Heat put up 115 in almost every single game they played. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was sort of by design. The Bucks were trying to speed up the ball game because they had no offense when it wasn't. They shot 42% in the next one. So the Heat are able to get out and get these you know open court looks off of Bucks misses. And so it looked like Milwaukee's defense was a lot worse than it was. You know what one of the best ways to defend another team is? Make your shot go through the bucket and allow yourself to set your defense. Giannis was not good in that series. The Bucks or the Heat, did to him what they were trying to do to LeBron and the Lakers, which was just wall him off. Believe me, I, I can look at every single one of these ballgames and say, oh, yeah, Bucks did absolutely did enough to win this game. Miami was putting up big points, but it wasn't like they were offensive juggernauts. and They hit 18 threes in that ballgame, which I guess that goes a long way, but... They were just manhandling the Bucks with their defensive sets. They couldn't. I mean, Jimmy Butler was taking 13, 14, 19 free throws a game in these series. I, like it's out of control to me that the Lakers schematically could have been that much better. But they were. And 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 there was a mental thing too for Milwaukee where they, you know, if you're if you're getting nothing on offense, you're probably not going to play as well focus-wise on the other end. But the point of all of this, the point of this long digression on Milwaukee is that they already have the pieces. They just can't figure out how to use them in the playoffs. Great. Everybody comes into the game against Milwaukee in the regular season like, ugh, all right, let's, you know, let's just try not to get bludgeoned by Giannis too hard. But, the, the, and this is a, a common refrain with NBA, is that guys don't give 100% during games in the regular season. They just don't because they'd be too exhausted come playoff time or by, you know, game 15 of the regular season. They'd be too exhausted. It's too long. It's too many games to try to go full bore like that. So you go up against a team like Milwaukee, you're just not going to put every ounce of your energy into a regular season game. It's not worth it. So in the regular season, teams tend to just sort of throw their fastball every night to steal a baseball metaphor. They're not throwing many wrinkles at the opposition. It's just like, all right, here's our best punch. We're best when we do this on defense, when we drop coverage, when we switch, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, the Bucks are quite good at exploiting simple stuff, but get into playoff time and they start pre-rotating, packing the paint, not giving Giannis lanes, and he didn't know what the hell to do. It is, to me, like, it's crazy to me that Doc Rivers is gone and Mike Budenholzer is not. Or Budenholzer, however you want to pronounce it. I know the Clippers had massive meltdown mode in the playoffs, and from a talent perspective, they obviously should have beaten the Denver Nuggets, but the Clippers had no chemistry. They didn't really play together very much this year. There were plenty of reasonable explanations to why they lost, besides Doc Rivers being too stubborn with in-game moves. Which, yeah, I mean, he deserves blame. There's no question about that. But then on the other side, like, you had a Milwaukee team that should have boat raced the Eastern Conference through the playoffs. With the amount of talent they have, Giannis, one of the best players in the NBA, Middleton, a great number two, Bledsoe, Lopez, like, they're, that's a hell of a starting lineup. And the Heat just outgamed them, and the fact that Milwaukee lost the same way the previous year to the Raptors and still had nothing, that's the biggest indictment of all. I was like, well, surely we're just going to be okay this year. What? Like, everybody saw what happened. So, rant aside, we come into next season with the Bucks looking down basically the same barrel, which is Giannis is a free agent at the end of this coming year. So this is a bleep or get off the pot moment for them. But the regular season doesn't really matter that much. They, they know they're good enough to clobber the East in the regular season, so why push it? They should spend every waking moment countering the stuff they saw in the playoffs. That's it. They shouldn't even worry about what teams they're playing on a night-to-night basis. Just go out, do whatever the hell you normally do, and spend every practice... With your your B squad, your scout team, just walling off and figure out what the hell to do. Because that that crap is embarrassing. So that said, I'm not super high on the Bucks actually, for this coming season. Uh, I think Giannis is going to get rest days. I think his game is actually deteriorating slightly as he gets bigger and stronger and is trying to take more three-pointers. Things are coming unglued a little bit. His steals, his blocks are down, threes are up, but pff, that's not why we we're drafting him. The free throw thing is is crazy. I mean, if he magically turns that around, then obviously his his value rockets from... He was number 20, by the way, on a per-game basis this year. Barely made the second round. But if he fixes his free throws, he, he jumps right back in the middle of the first round again. Middleton is an interesting case study because I think he'll get some days off also, But from a percentages standpoint, I do love what he brings to the table there. I don't see his minutes going up at all from 30 in the regular season. Brook Lopez had another great year when all was said and done. He actually ended up playing better in the bubble. That boosted his value a tiny bit, but he was inside the top 50. And they'll use him pretty much the same way season over season. They don't have anybody waiting in the wings there. I think Eric Bledsoe is a possible bounce back guy. Uh, I don't know if his minutes trend up from 27 to 28 or 29, but health would go a long way. And if you take his numbers from this year and you simply add one to two minutes of playing time, then he jumps from top 100 back to top 70. And I think he'll go pretty late in drafts this coming year. And then beyond that, you're not drafting anybody anyway. So the question again is who's pushing on this team? Bledsoe will push a little. He was low this year, and I think he's pissed about it. His health just wasn't there, so he's going to have a little something to prove. Uh, Brooke Lopez, nah. I mean, he's just sort of casually floating along. He'll be drafted relatively accurately, I think. Maybe a little bit late because he's kind of boring. Uh, Middleton probably will go around where he belongs. I would be a little cautious there because of missed games, and then Giannis, for sure, you have to be cautious with. So there's your Bucks breakdown after a long rant. The Raptors were the number two seed in the Eastern Conference this year at 53-19. and 19. They were the road warriors of the East with a one game improved over their home record. Uh, Raptors also were very good in the bubble. They finished uh, 27-9 and on the road, 26-10 at home. Tied for the Lakers, by the way, with the best road record for any team in the NBA at that 18-game over 500 mark. The Raptors are uh, a weird one, and the... Uh, the thought process there, of course, has to do with who's coming back. Serge Ibaka, Marcus Sol are both free agents. It sounds like Gasol is set to play overseas. Ibaka is going to cost some money. He'll probably have some suitors out there as now a power forward center who can stretch the floor, who does still have some game around the rim. Good percentages. Doesn't really block shots like he used to, but it's possible that in a different setting, maybe that number comes back a little bit. But right now... The Raptors don't have a starting center. I don't know if they really want to play Pascal Siakam at center against some of the bigger dudes in the NBA, and I know they don't want to play Chris Boucher at center against the bigger dudes in the NBA, but right now the Raptors have a bunch of guys that have sort of been, you know, steeled by fire in the Raptors' way of play, and that is the Kyle Lowry-led play until the wheels fall off Lowry 36 minutes a game Van Vliet 35 and a half Siakam 35 those guys logged monster minutes OG Ananobi played 30 minutes a game and I think that number is actually probably trending up season over season but the question of does this team push the answer is always that's just how they play I would say it would be wise for them Maybe not to go so completely insane with pushing their guys to the limit, but they're gonna. That's just how they operate, and guys are going to miss games because of it. Kyle Lowry, he missed 14 games this year, I believe. Freddie Van Vliet missed 18 games. Norman Powell missed 20. Siakam, a dozen. Ibaka, 17. Gasol, 30-something. Nope, 28, sorry. Ananobi, just a couple. He was generally healthy this year. But listen, these guys are just going to play so many minutes that they're going to end up missing a game here and there. You have to be okay with that. Luckily, guys like Kyle Lowry are always underdrafted. Norman Powell will probably be underdrafted. Ananobi will probably be underdrafted. I love the Raptors going into next year. I think Ananobi and Norman Powell are set to have really nice years as guys that will probably post nice percentages, some defensive stats, And will be mostly ignored because, you know, they're not star power names. Siakam's the one guy in the Raptors that tends to go a little bit early because I think there's an expectation for him that he's about to turn some other star corner. But I think this is basically who he is now. He needed to be better in the playoffs, but, you know, does that carry over to the regular season? Do we think that he's going to have that chip on his shoulder? Possibly. The Raptors are going to—they're basically the Michael Jordan meme— and I took that personally, which, by the way, is an, that's an hilarious meme. I think it's funny every single time I see it. But the Raptors are that team. They're going to take every game personally, regardless of whether or not it really matters that much. Also of note, I think the Raptors... So I had a, I had a different thought on this team if you had asked me before the bubble. And you did. Well, whether or not you wanted to, you did. Remember when we did our mid-mortems back in May and June, and I said, look, I don't, like, the Raptors to me seem like a team that could trade Kyle Lowry, they could potentially go young and start kind of a semi-rebuild around Pascal Siakam if they re-sign Freddie Van Fleet, which I I have to imagine they're going to be trying to do, but there will be other suitors out there. I would have thought that was the direction they were going because they were still very good this year. They were still very good this year. But I thought, looking at their future, I thought you were looking at a team that was headed in the wrong direction. Because the leader of the team, Kyle Lowry, is on the wrong side of his prime. He's still putting up nice numbers, but he is going to trend down. Ibaka is trending down. Gasol is trending down. You had Freddie Van Fleet, who is trending up with a bigger role, but it was unclear you know, how much he was going to be able to do. Siakam, I think he's pretty close to to maxing out on on what he's going to do on a floor. And then, you know, you got nice role players in Ananobi and Powell. But look, before the bubble, I was like, look, stack that team against Milwaukee, and this is probably the last year where they have a chance. Going forward, one of those teams is not really getting old, and the other one is. And before the bubble, I said it, I think Toronto's, looking towards maybe rebuilding a little bit. But then the bubble happened, and the Heat just outgamed everybody, and the Raptors were a couple of shots away from uh, playing Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. And now all of a sudden I'm looking at it like, hmm, these teams are not afraid of Milwaukee, nor should they be anymore. If they were, you know, there are probably a few teams that were, but the Raptors never were. And everybody suddenly in the Eastern Conference is like, wow, there's a a clear path to the finals. The Heat just made it to the finals with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and some really clever role-playing and some really smart basketball. And so a lot of these teams are like, damn, you know, a couple of really good players on our team, we play some good ball, we could go to the finals. So two, three months ago, I thought the Raptors were going to blow it up. That's, that's not maybe fair, not blow it up, because they still have a bunch of really interesting young players, but you know, not quite championship level if they were to say trade Kyle Lowry and not bring back any of their big men. If you trade Kyle Lowry, you know, you're not going very far. This Raptors team is not going very far. He's their he's their leader, he's their heartbeat. But now, if I'm the Raptors, I'm really considering just making another run at it. Who knows what could happen? You run into the Clippers, Lakers in the finals? What if AD has a bigger injury? What if Kawhi doesn't seem quite right? Raptors are very good on the road, as we talked about. They, they are smart. They have heart. They would have had just as good a shot as Miami or better if they were in the finals against the Lakers this year. So now I look at this Raptors team and I'm thinking, I was afraid before of drafting Lowry, And I was really excited about drafting all the other guys because I figured, you know, they had a shot to step into some really large roles. But I I think this team might just run it back. They may try to bring back Serge Ibaka and run it back, or they may just bring in some other big man to step into that spot and play Pascal Siakam at the five a little bit more, and you know, see a little bit more Norman Powell get out and run a little more. OG Ananobi at the four a little bit more. I still think they're a really interesting fantasy team, but I, I think I have to put. I have to put a little bit more positive weight behind Kyle Lowry as opposed to before where I was honestly a little nervous that he might get moved midseason. But the Eastern Conference is wide open, as we saw in the bubble. Let's do the Celtics and see where we're at on the clock here. Um, hmm, what are we about? Geez, we're already a half an hour into this thing. Uh, for the Celtics, this is a perfect opportunity to remind you guys that today... Officially is ExpressVPN Day here at HoopBall. Oh, yes. It's October's special. Three extra months on your ExpressVPN package. Get a 12-month membership, and they will give you 15 months. That's right. An extra season, extra quarter year. I don't know what season it would be. I guess if you signed up now, you would get the uh, fall season for free next year, something like that. Uh, so ExpressVPN, the way to do it is to go to expressvpn.com slash hoopball. I say again, expressvpn.com slash hoopball. And you can get an extra three months of the ExpressVPN membership for free. Support this show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash hoop ball. It's really, really cool. It's so you can't get nailed with blackouts. It's so you can watch Netflix and appear to be in Canada. I mean, like, it's all these things where the the internet tries to squeeze you, and you can unsqueeze yourself. And if you're just into privacy, that's worth it alone. You can just sign on. I'm in Los Angeles. I could just sign on the Los Angeles VPN, and then no one will know what I'm up to. Not that I have anything to hide, but like, I don't want Big Brother watching to see when I'm buying peanut dog treats. Which I, I say that because I actually legitimately did do that this morning for my dog. Like I don't need I don't need to be tracked like that. I don't need targeted ads for my next bag of peanut dog treats. So go there, get it. It's affordable and your privacy is worth it. Expressvpn.com/hoopball. You don't have to enter a promo code if you go to that special link. Expressvpn.com/hoopball. Check it out. Immediately, the Celtics—they're an interesting bird, aren't they? Huh. Where do we begin with Boston? Um. Well, they certainly pushed the Heat to the limit. Jason Tatum turned a corner this year; he's now a superstar. He's a bona fide superstar in the NBA. Kemba Walker took a massive step back, injury and role-wise, with Boston. Gordon Hayward was fantastic. Dealt with injuries, though. Missed a bunch of time. Marcus Smart was very good. Also dealt with injuries. Jalen Brown was solid. Also dealt with injuries. And we had the emergence of our friendly neighborhood fantasy superstar, Daniel Tice, who, on nine points per game, somehow managed top 80 value on the entire season. I love it. There's a lot going around right now about the Celtics maybe signing a center during free agency, which does worry me a little bit. I'll admit it. Because if they bring in a center that's going to be someone to be to play in front of daniel tice but it's not like they have a whole bunch of money to throw around Celtics have one of the biggest payrolls in the entire NBA right now with kemba walker due 34 million dollars next year, gordon hayward expected to opt into a player option for 34 million dollars Jalen Brown's making $23 million a year. Marcus Smart at 13 and a half million. Jason Tatum is on the final year of his first contract. He's set to make $10 million this coming season, and then he's going to get real damn expensive the year after that. Uh, Daniel Tice has a non-guaranteed contract, but I'm sure they're going to pick that up. And then the only contracts that might come off the books, Ennis Cantor has a player option for five million. He may go into free agency. Uh, Semi Ojale has a team option for $2 million. And Brad Wanamaker's $1.5 million contract is coming off the books. For this Boston team, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 most expensive contracts on the books are all basically locked in for this coming year. They have a projected salary of $140 million. That's over the hard cap already. So there's little things they can do. I'm sure they have some various exceptions that I don't know about. But it's not like they're going to go bring in a... Uh, superstar big man, if that's what you're worried about, that they're not like in the market for a 35-minute big-time stud center, they may very well, well, kind of run it back a little bit. Like They're looking at themselves and saying, look, we were a game away from the finals. There isn't a whole lot we need to change. A healthy Kemba Walker, they could really convince themselves that all they really needed was a healthy Kemba Walker and they'd have been playing the Lakers in the finals. Or a fully healthy Gordon Hayward. Who, mind you, was close, but not quite there. They, like, they had the stuff to get there. By all accounts, they were the more talented team. And they just, they sort of were one piece shy. I would think maybe a little more wing defense would get the job done for them. They were, they were weird, man. Boston was very weird in that series against Miami. They... They'd, I don't know. I guess that's the the disadvantage of not having LeBron on your team. You have to find some other way around it. But uh, I don't know that th- there's something interesting about this Eastern Conference right now where a lot of teams feel like they have what it takes already. So pivoting that, Boston flaming out in the Eastern Conference Finals, but that's not even really a fair way to put it. This is a team that I think can go back and just say, look, if we just get a little bit better in a few different spots, if uh, Jason Tatum plays the whole year the way he played the end of the year, and they can secure a higher seed going into the playoffs. If Kemba Walker can stay even remotely close to healthy. If Gordon Hayward can stay healthy. If Market Smart can stay healthy. Uh, if Jalen Brown can stay... Like, it's all... Seemingly, it's all health for Boston. And an opportunity to maybe game plan a little bit better. And if you're getting actual production out of Kemba Walker in the playoffs... They could very easily go to the finals. That's not to say they won't be on the prowl for someone, but I don't think they're going to be that upset. And and Danny Ainge, we've seen it many times historically, he tends to sort of squat on what he has unless someone gives him an, in, an incredible deal. What about the regular season for this Boston team? They were the number three seed, but they really weren't close to the top two. They were forty-eight and twenty-four, five games back of the Raptors, seven and a half games back of the Bucks. I thought the Celtics were going to be an easy over bet this season, and they would have been had we played the entire season. They would have cleared the number. I think they might have cleared the number. Already. It might have been fifty. So what do they have? Ten more games to win, two more. Yeah, I think they probably would have gotten there. Um, so in terms of you know what are they going to do in the regular season, Marcus Smart. You always look to the, the heartbeat of a team. How much are they going to care during the regular season? You look at the heartbeat. We just talked about it with uh, with Kyle Lowry. It's, it's almost the exact same storyline in Boston. Is As long as... And we faded them, remember, when Kyrie Irving was their heartbeat because you knew it, were, there, it wasn't going to be that same grind mentality. But as long as Marcus Smart is the guy throwing the the coal into that engine they're gonna be giving it their all and the question is can they actually stay healthy during the regular season And I think you know you have to game plan on the idea that they'll probably miss a few games here and there but it's not gonna be it's not gonna be rest days for the guys not named Kemba it's gonna be did they play so damn hard that they got themselves hurt so there's always that issue with Boston but from a fantasy standpoint, I think this is a team that wants to try to lock up a the the highest seed they possibly can an opportunity to get as far as they did again you know like this year. Now, on the other side, you can make the argument, well, look, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, so do they feel like maybe they can take their foot off the gas a tiny bit in the regular season? Normally, I would say yes, and I would be worried about that. I think you'll see plenty of that with Kemba. They realize they need him in better shape come playoff time. But the rest of that team's pretty damn young, aside from maybe Hayward? I don't know. But he's not a high flyer or anything, so I, you know, I, his injuries tend to be more fluky, unfortunately. Uh, but the rest of those guys, they're just gonna they're gonna play their their butts off pretty much every day. The usual story with this team. So I, I while the storyline might, for most teams, say, look, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals as a team that's gonna be laser focused on the playoffs and the playoffs only. With this team, with Marcus Smart, I I don't think that's entirely gonna be the case. So I, I don't think you have to put the demerits on them that you would on most teams with that same storyline. We'll pick up tomorrow with the Pacers. That should be interesting coaching change. Will there be any other personnel changes? We've heard about Victor Oladipo being annoyed, which what? Dude wasn't healthy at all. What's his beef? Whatever. Anyway, for tomorrow's show, I suppose. Uh, this show, as always, a hoop ball presentation. It's Fantasy NBA Today, brought to you by ExpressVPN.com HoopBall, MyBookie.ag and our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Have a great Monday, everybody. So long.